friends, welcome to episode 195 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? I'm doing all right. It's a little cold. It's a little snowy. Yeah, we've got kind of a snowpocalypse going on outside, right, Meow? Yeah, I don't think it's that snowpocalypse Snowpocalypse? I think, like... Weather Radar 7000 is tracking the storm... Yeah, I suppose it is. It may impact travel yes. and schools. Yes. All those things are true. Yeah, but at the same those... time, like, it's not that bad. I don't know. What, like four or five inches of snow? Yeah. Like, I was out on roads are a little Monday sloppy. getting groceries, mm-hmm. and it was, like, there was still milk. There was still water. There it's, was still toilet paper. It's fine. Everything's we're, fine. We're fine. You just know how the media likes to hype it up. It's, Always. It's, it's a thing. Well, so it's we the have first to make time the... they have to hype that up. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, we had, like, what, an inch or something like that of snow yeah. a little earlier, and then, like, I don't know, sometime in early December, there was, like, three inches of snow or something like that that dropped, and then, like, by the next morning, it was all melted. Yeah, we had a white Christmas, and that was about it. Yeah. And it wasn't even that, I mean, it was nice, but it mm-hmm. didn't affect anything. It's in its 40s, almost yeah. 50s. It's been uh, nice. Last several weeks. So, yeah, we're, yeah. we're kind of due. Like, I can't be salty about this. Yep, yep. So, uh... Yeah. Let's see here on the gaming front, haven't had much. Your game's no. coming up, what, next weekend? Uh, I, I haven't rebooked, so it's not scheduled yet. What is it? We were waiting to up? find out one of the players' access levels and, and what was going on, because they were supposed to do some travel, so I was trying to figure oh, out what was going on with yeah, that. Yeah, I thought I saw I thought I saw on my calendar there, that there was next weekend. Maybe it was just penciled in or something. I think it was penciled in for okay. next weekend. So. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so, but, uh, yeah, I'm still looking forward to it, because I know it's going to push more of the story forward. I'm, I'm hopeful that... Uh, that I'm able to get through it without like it feeling sluggish. Because again, you guys are pretty high level, which is funny that we're talking about this today. Uh, and there's there's definitely going to be the chance for some severe combat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, with you guys being level eleven in a D and D game, it does add a certain level of concern to that as yeah, a storyteller. A but at the same time, like not really. Yeah. And we'll talk about that literally tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is exactly. Funny, which is funny to me. So. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what exactly uh, uh, are we talking about tonight? So we're talking about um, when the power curve gets broken. Yeah, so if you've got a... Uh, not every system has this problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. We yeah. can flat out say that there are some systems that effectively have n- no real progression. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have gear progression, and that's about it. There's yeah horizontal progression, or or the progression is so slow that it never leaves a certain scope. You know that you can't really yeah. get quote unquote overpowered. There are certain game systems, and some of them maybe um oh I don't know flagship properties for the entire hobby. Yeah, um, or or even know. ones that have been that have definitely come under fire for this specific thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I can definitely say that when I started with Palladium, mm-hmm. I saw this. Like, I comfortably saw this within the game because it, it talks about at every level, you just get better. Yeah. there's The progression is just straight up, and it is hard not to see, especially through the skills, that you don't just become – you have you basically anything that you're skilled in, you are amazing at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the you know by any particular level, yeah. So. I mean, it played him. Played him largely focuses on a heroic style of go. Exceptionally uh, of, heroic of, uh, yeah. storytelling. Um, but yeah, I mean, so so by all means, I and mean, we're we're probably we're probably going to be calling out D and D a little bit here. But like, by no means is this a D and D problem. This not is at all. power gaming and min maxing and just outright even accidental breaks in the power curve when you put the right you know right abilities together or the right combination of levels and stuff like that um 
are, are a thing that happens in a lot of different games. Very much so. Very um, much so. And, and we apologize if you're catching some fan noise. Uh, what we're going on right now? We've my got, laptop well, is having a conniption. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that'll die down in the show and it won't be too bad. Yeah. So. I, I figured out that if I have to plug my laptop in, the fan goes crazy. So I will uh, have to remember <laughs> to have this more more charged up next time. That's all right. No big deal. So, uh, so that being said, um, so what is the problem? Well, okay. That's the real, I, I say that's kind of the crux of this discussion is because yeah. if you look at Reddit and you look at, at other gaming forums, it almost seems like there's a monthly thread of someone saying, oh my god, you know, this rogue in my game has a stealth of plus 30, you know, or, or, or his stealth is almost always 27 to 30, so like, he's just immediately always stealthy and there's no way to get her. I need to nerf him in some way. Mm-hmm. Like, how is the, what's the best way to nerf this character's if abilities? The bard in the group always rolls a 40, percep- or 40 uh, uh, persuasion check and can seduce anything and I'm really sick of it. How do I nerf him? Right, right. Um, Yeah, no, exactly. This so, is, like, if you, if you have to define the word nerf, clearly we're doing something wrong here. Right. But effectively, what is a way to to limit or gimp the players in some way that they can't function. Yeah. They can't do their special thing. And or how do I create challenges for these people when nothing seems challenging? For instance, I've got an epic fighter, an epic wizard, an epic road, an epic epic archer, an epic druid. No, nothing's a problem for them. They walk in, they vaporize everything, and walk away with all the riches. Okay. That's not a challenge. How do I challenge these people? And that's common. That's everywhere that's common. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, usually newer storytellers that are asking these questions. But it's not uncommon to see someone who's maybe ran a lot of modules and now is running an open world and running into this problem. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, no, I do want to. I wanted to find one term before we move on, sure. um, just because it is a word we're going to be throwing around a little bit, um, mm-hmm. and I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. And that's his power curve. Yes. Okay. So um, all game systems tend to have a set of outcomes in in mind when they design their dice system for task resolution. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, for example, if a game says an outcome of five is an easy task, an outcome of ten, regardless of the dice you're rolling or whatever modifies your mm-hmm. okay, so five is easy. 10 is regular, 15 is, like, heroic, and 20 should be damn near impossible, Mm -hmm. okay? That is essentially your power curve, okay? You should almost always, but not always, roll above a 5. You should regularly roll above a 10. You should only be rolling above a 15 if you're skilled or lucky or prepared. Mm -hmm. Um, And you should almost never roll above a 20, unless your character is very, very good at this type of task. Now, keeping in mind, these numbers are arbitrary. I'm just giving you an example of a power curve. Yeah, like, for instance, okay. um, a- another good example is uh, Mouse Guard uses uh, D6. Mm-hmm. And you're looking for, on an individual die... Four, five, or six. Correct. And that's where that curve sits, is, is that you're, you're literally just trying to get a number of successes mm-hmm. to be able to achieve something. And a lot of systems use that success ratio as their power curve, how many successes you can get. Yeah, like w- one might be a marginal success, two right. is a complete success, and then three and up start giving you extra, maybe little benefits and stuff like that. So something that generates, oh, I don't know, 10 successes might excessively break the power curve of something like that system. Exactly. Um, so these, these are just examples of what we're talking about, a power curve. Mm-hmm. Is there's an intended outcome of numbers, and the top of that number should be something that is heroic, 
unheard of. The mm-hmm. bards will write tales about it, yep. you know, style roles. Yep. Not something you should be hitting with any sort of regularity. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're discussing specifically within the show is when that curve is broken by either <laughs> exceptional proficiency, um, just leveling, yeah. moving through the the progress of the game and, and advancing the character in a specific direction or in its intended direction. Yeah. You know, or straight up someone min-maxing so that they are they are pinnacling to a point where they are well beyond that. They're always in an epic state. Yes. For, for perhaps maybe one thing that they do well. They become a finely honed machine for destroying that one role. <laughs> correct, correct. All the time. Yeah. yeah, so that's where the term broken in this kind of is, is getting its definition from. So initially, and this is one of the reasons we decided we wanted to talk about this, is we, you see a lot of these threads like we sort of started talking at the beginning here going like well how do i how do i nerf this person Mm -hmm. you know and nerfing if you're unfamiliar with it is uh (laughs) intentionally diminishing the power of something correct either by uh either by literally stating it's something that can't be done that way or in the method that they're that the that the system intends Mm -hmm. uh rule as written um or adding an element to it to refract it in a different way. Yeah, usually usually in, in tabletop role-playing games, um, you'll see people, like, put extra obstacles in front of that one particular person yeah. that may be excessive or don't really make sense just because, like... I, I, I wanna I wanna stop you from doing this one thing because it's difficult for me to imagine a way in which I can challenge you. So now every single enemy you face has a hard counter to that. Right. You know? Um, you always you always mind control things, so now everything I place out here is immune to mind control. Yeah, the no, whether you know? or because I have not done research, I probably should have done this. The term nerfing comes from nerf. Like being able to take a baseball bat and put foam padding around it, and now a child can use it to do things. Yeah. Or I have a gun, but it is a Nerf gun. It fires. <laughs> so when I shoot you shoot, with it, it fires little foam darts at you that will not hurt you. It does no it. damage. It does not make an effective difference. Oh, it is still a gun, but it is a nerfed gun. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's. It, it loses its value for what it is and its so, ability to do things. We'll start the discussion by saying this stop. Yeah, just stop don't. it. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Do not put the nerf bat down. Bad storyteller, no cookie. So just understand that's what we're saying with this. If if you read nothing out of this discussion, we are telling you stop nerfing. Stop nerfing. That there is not the problem. So many alternatives to nerfing. Or that's not the solution. I it's, should say. Yeah, yeah, and and it's not the problem you think it is that nerfing yeah. is a necessary solution to it, even even if it were a solution. Mm-hmm. So. In this TED Talk, I will. <laughs> uh, That's, all right, fair. So That's fair. That's wh- fair. Why? Um, why? Why are we? Why do we tell them to put the nerf bat down? We'll start with the very basics. Yeah, these are the mechanics of the system. Mm-hmm. Someone designed it this way. Yeah. Like whether or not you're willing to accept that they made mistakes in the design, which some people will will argue finite details over. Sure. Or even say like rule is written. This is what it says, and mm-hmm. play off of that system. Nine times out of ten, you're 
you're dealing with how the system is designed. It's just that the person's narrowing to a direction. There's nothing wrong with with. There's nothing that says that the, the you know that Dwayne the Rock Johnson isn't a mountain of a man with with incredibly expressive eyes that can counter by only his arm. Well, but he wins every strength. wrestling match that he gets in. How do we stop him from doing that? How do I nerf him? Well, first off, he trained as a wrestler. Exactly. His father was a wrestler, so his background <laughs> in wrestling, and then he went into acting which taught him acting skills. So now not only does his eyes solve all problems that verbally need to be matched without words, he has intimidate. <laughs> He's okay. also a master chef, apparently. I was unaware of this as well. He well, picked, other, he other, up other people are intent on smelling what The Rock is cooking. Oh, so. that is true. That is true. Um, but that's the, the whole point is, is that they're designed for that. They've paid the dues within the mechanics of the system and therefore have those abilities. Yeah. So stop nerfing for them for what's in the system. You're reviewing that wrong. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. is not their problem. It is your solution. Um, min-maxing is the next direction of that. Yeah. Um, and this is where it comes into that they're looking at the rules in a finite way to say, how do I achieve the goal of becoming a machine gun junkie? If I take stat A plus equipment B plus skill C plus edge E... I become a one-trick, finely honed, you know, yeah. blade yeah. that can do this one trick exceptionally well. Or likewise, um, I take, you know, jack of all trades and uh, uh, two levels of this and one and five levels of this, and suddenly none of my rolls are less than ten. Mm-hmm. No matter how badly I roll, if unless I roll a one, all of my rolls will at least be a ten. Yeah. And then I have bonuses. One of the other, one of the other more common ones is uh, if I take this ability, it's extraordinarily powerful, but it comes with a weakness. So I take this other ability that that removes the weakness. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and now I just have an extra, extraordinarily powerful, powerful ability I can use without without question. Yep. Yep. Um, and honestly, like sometimes, look, sometimes players do this because they want to be efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. That 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 is legitimately how some people play the game. They have fun looking at a system, seeing how they can manipulate the system, work and work within the system. They're just having fun. They're not doing it out of spite or anything like that. In spite of how it can cause some frustrations for storytellers when they do that. On the other hand, some people do it by just making their character in a specific direction. You made Ravana. Yeah, I, I mean think that's I, a perfect example of a direction that literally min-maxes you to a point. Right, I'm not going to say you're that. you're not even that min-maxed, but it does yeah. make a reference to who you are. Yeah, I mean, so just for, for reference, um, she is my 11th level wizard. Yep. Uh, in, She's pretty uh, epically powerful. Um, so <laughs> uh, 11th level, I mean, we're, we're what, beginning a tier 3 play? That's not epically powerful. You know? I mean... Um, I just got my first 6th level spell. You haven't even... I haven't even begun to BS. Yeah. Um, but uh, along with that, I like I took all frost spells for her. I don't know fireball or anything like that, mm-hmm. but it's all like cone of cold, Odalux freezing sphere, um, hailstorm, ice storm, snowball storm, things like that. Um, wall of ice. Your elementals um, are all ice. Uh, yeah, summon summon creatures. I've got some summon creatures that I that I, I summon ice elementals and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, along with that, I took the. Um, there's like an elemental mastery feat or something yep. like that that I took that basically makes it so that nobody gets resistance against my cold mm-hmm. attacks and uh, I get to re-roll ones or ones become twos. Yeah. If I if I roll them for damage. Yeah. 
Uh, so, but again, that's not really even all that min-max, but at least it took her in a direction, and I leaned into it. So she's exceptionally good at frost spells. Yeah, I don't call that necessarily min-maxing so much as it's focusing. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think it's great. I think everyone should think that's great, because that's a heck of a role-play that someone can do without role-playing. You know, my character has a has a theme. Great. That's a great place to start for characters. Don't punish them for making a themed character. You know, I'm the gun bunny. I can pick up any gun and use it. Fantastic. That is great. You have a theme. You are role-playing to a degree. I like that. Even if you don't even express that in any other way. You're doing a job. And I think that is valuable in that sense. Um, and... Uh, it's it's often not done with maliciousness. No, in, in fact, sometimes it's done accidentally, honestly. Okay. Um, like, <laughs> so, uh, I was playing, I know this isn't, this isn't technically a tabletop role-playing game, it's a video game, but right. I, I, um, in Elden Ring, uh, when I beat Elden Ring, um, I was actually trying to role-play as a character from, uh, Wheel of Time. Um, Avienda, who's one of the Aiel, they fight with spears. Yeah. And, uh, so I was like, oh, I'm just going to do a spear build. And then I thought, well, what would go good with a spear build will probably bleed attacks. Uh, dual wield spear builds are the meta. Like mm-hmm. they are considered the cheesiest easy mode. I did not know this. Yep. <laughs> it was just like, I'm just trying to make an Aiel that wields spears. I didn't mean to do this. And accidentally I put the game on easy mode essentially <laughs> with my build, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but I've seen this happen in tabletop role-playing games too, where they're just like, Oh, you know what sounds fun is maybe a multi-class bard warlock. And they come up with a good story for it. And they're like, Oh, you're one of those. What do you mean I'm one of those, you yeah, know? Yep. No, no, I've I've definitely done that uh a, a few times because of a recommendation from somebody off the cuff. Mm-hmm. Like, "Hey, I'm looking to play something fun. Have you ever tried a uh dwarven cleric? Dwarven warrior cleric?" Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, that sounds like a lot of I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I could, I could see that. And then all of a sudden you find all your stat bonuses just add up and like at level 5 you're like ready to punch god and you're like Oh, okay. That's okay, makes yeah. sense. That I can literally stand in the middle of combat and fight as a cleric. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing, though, is that players want to feel that heroic and skilled, hell yeah. right? I mean, ultimately, one of the main things that we play tabletop role playing games for is a power fantasy. Well, especially you know? games that have stats. Yeah. Like let's let's discount the narrative games that really don't have stats. Sure. And focus on the players who move toward D and D, who move toward games that have a tactical or or simulationist flair to them, even. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're building a stat box. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, a lot of people like whether you whether you you min maxed on purpose or not, you've at least built your character to be good at something. Nobody yeah. walks into character creation and goes, "I'm gonna make a completely unskilled, you know, jerk that yep. just can't can't tie their own shoes without drooling on themselves." You know, yep. no, we all we all go like, oh, "I'm gonna make a sniper, or I'm gonna make a spell slinger, or I'm gonna make a private eye that can solve any mystery." You know, well, even the game systems tell you like if you're combined pluses for your stat score isn't at least x you get y right like they're leaning to like we're sorry that you suck here have this bonus (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly um but you know like sometimes someone wants to play a sniper you know for instance right we'll use a sniper as an example they they want that character to be an expert that always hits their mark Mm -hmm. okay Rather than a professional sniper that misses 50% of the time because the book that says that shot was supposed to be tough. Right. You know, they want someone 
who will hit that shot right. 98% mm-hmm. of the time. And if they miss it, it better be a darn hard shot. Right. You know? That's what they do. Now, they may not be the best mystery solver. Mm-mm. They may not be the best healer Mm-mm. or the best researcher or whatever or the best driver. But, man, you put a gun in their hands and they're going to hit a target. I mean, a good example of that, I was playing a, a character in a game where my character was basically a covert ops person um, who could stealth and and shoot. Like, that was it. Like, yeah. I was... That that's all my job. I wasn't good at anything else. Were but, you playing Skyrim Stealth Sniper again? Uh, actually, was I think this was Ste- in Stealth one Archer. of uh, Matt's games. Okay, yeah. and I was playing a uh, uh like a semi super powered character who okay. could do this. Okay, uh, and I I had stealthed my way into a police station to break someone out. Oh, was this his aberrant game? I think so. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, it was. I, I just remember like I could do. Like, there, there wasn't a reason. Like, I had Chameleon. I had this other thing. So, basically, I had, like, five layers of of, of camouflage plus invisibility. Uh-huh. Like, if you could tell I was in the room, there was something critically wrong. Yeah, yeah. You know, kind of a thing. Uh, and it was just neat to see how that... Because it was a way for me to feel powerful in a very specific direction. Oh, sure. sure. And that's that's what... Especially superheroes do that. Yeah, you exactly. Know? And... and... Having your storyteller nerf you, yeah, deliberately attack the one good thing that you are. Like, oh, uh, yeah, they have um, super cameras that can see through invisibility and see all sorts of different yeah. wavelengths of light and stuff like that. So, yeah, they spot you. You know, like, what the heck? You know, it's literally the one thing you do good, and you're going to tell me that like it's impossible for me to do the good thing. What use am I? Yeah, you know. It's the one situation my character is useful in. All of my points are in being undetectable, and you're telling me they're going to just automatically detect me because you decided that was too powerful? Yeah. Okay, sure, you know. Yeah. I'm the Hulk. I rage. That's what I do. And literally just told me I am i can't rage because I'm drugged? Like, that's—like, you, you can't become Hulk. Right. Okay, wh- why am I at this table? Right, exactly. Well, well it's a challenge. No, it isn't. No, it's no, not. No, it is not. That's not a challenge. It's not a challenge. You're just taking away the thing that makes my character unique Exactly. Yep, yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the biggest arguments against uh, powerful characters... Or um, or reason for nerfing. Or re- reason for nerfing them. Um, you know, in powerful characters, again, in, in any sort of way. Yeah. Your undetectable character, you know, mm-hmm. maybe this super strength character or, you know, our, our living example here, this sniper, you know, mm-hmm. who can make any shot... Um, is the idea that they break game balance. Yeah. And you hear that all the time. Well, how is this balanced? How is this balanced? Oh, that's not balanced, you know? And, like... <sighs> We've said it before guys, on this show. game balance doesn't really exist. Balance is a crutch. It is. Like, it, it's not just that it doesn't exist. It is a crutch. What you think exists is not. The, the thing is, is that these <sighs> tabletop role-playing games are stories with an infinite number of problems and they can have an equally infinite number of solutions, right? Yep. If a player builds the best hammer in the world, it's going to seem unbalanced if all you do is present them with nails. Mm-hmm. You follow? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like, this is... I, I will I will go off on a little bit of a rant if you've heard my you know last episode, if you tuned in. This is my main problem with D&D. Mm-hmm. Is that 95% of the game is combat. Okay, combat is the nail, mm-hmm. right? And there aren't many great systems prevent- for presenting other interesting obstacles. Yep. Okay, so other than, like, nails, 
shinier nails, harder nails, longer nails. Smaller nails. Smaller nails. Lots of nails. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Multiple nails, yeah. you know. Um, but a good hammer is going to deal with all of those. Yeah. You know, and so that can make it seem like it's very difficult to uh, present an interesting challenge to a character if they're good at combat, but 95% of the game is combat, mm-hmm. right? So typically if somebody's good at something and you don't when you want them to feel challenged you don't throw the thing that they're good at at them mm-hmm. you throw something they're not good at at them and watch them struggle but there's not a lot of other options in a heavily tactical combat game mm-hmm. such as D&D to throw at them there's not a lot of greatly fleshed out systems for doing anything other than combat That's, well i mean and like we've talked about before specifically with D&D the counter to uh, to experience is hit points yeah. So if if you're not gaining XP, you're losing hit points. You're mm-hmm. dying. And that right there says that the key to the game is keeping your health yeah. and removing the enemies. Well, yeah, and that's why like one of the easiest and quickest um go-tos for dungeon masters is like just like doubling the health pool of their uh of their their monsters. Mm-hmm. Oh, my big bad evil guy died in the second round of combat, so I had to give him five thousand hit points. You know, or I need to deal make too him much damage. Resistance to everything. Yeah, so he takes half damage. Exactly. You know, or no damage from specific things. But again, that's a direct nerf well, to the player's power. And I I distinctly remember back in I want to say second edition that monsters as they went up, quote unquote, in rating, even though there really weren't ratings, there were. Mm-hmm. Um they would often be magical and only able to be hurt by magical weapons. So now the players not only, even if they were the best, they they didn't they weren't a magical weapon and therefore couldn't affect them and had to go get those things mm. to affect them. And that's a common nerfing that systems do naturally. Like organically, they just put in the system that you uh, you will be unable to affect these until X. Until you achieve X or Y. Uh, Palladium does this with uh, SDC and MDC. You know, no matter how great you are physically, you are not going to be able to tear down a mech. Mm -hmm. It has, it it takes mega damage. Structural damage will not do anything to this thing. It'll just plink off it and give it tiny holes. And likewise, mega damage weapons are like anti-tank weapons. If those hit you... Mm-hmm. You are made of squishy, you know, <laughs> yeah. bits. Yeah. You are nothing but a water balloon that screams and bleeds. Correct. Like... <laughs> and... That's a hilarious way to say it. <laughs> but that's the truth. It's it's the fact that you are you are unprepared. But again, that's the system trying to remind you of variances in level, tiers, if you will. Uh, a cast system uh, of sorts to be around it. And it's reminding you what the system wants you to do it wants you to get to a gu- to that level of tier yeah. to be able to combat those things and be better than everything else mm-hmm. um so when you have the option or when you're presented with players that are hitting all the nails what do you present them with that can be a variety I mean, even in D&D, there is some bright people are like, well, just give them a puzzle. Yeah, but that's, I mean, it sounds simple, but that's a great solution. Yeah, it is the simplest of solutions, even if the puzzle isn't quote unquote real. If you're, you know, if, if your your party is a very shiny hammer, exceptionally good at hammering in nails, don't put more nails in front of them and expect the power balance to change. 
you give them a variety of non-nail problems. Okay, so being the best sniper in the world, being the best sniper in the world doesn't really help you, like, resolve a trade negotiation. Right. You know, um, unless your solution is one shot killing one of the parties involved. Right. Uh, that can be a solution. Yeah. No man, no problem. Right, right. Um, hunt down an elusive criminal ringleader known only as the Arbiter. Sure. Um, it doesn't help you solve the riddle on a dungeon wall, which holds the key to the treasure inside. It does et not. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's funny, I, I'm going to pause for a second and kind of roll back a little bit, because Hulavu said, uh, or you could use the boss uh, boss resurrects as undead. <laughs> you you beat my blue dragon, fools, now it is an undead dragon. <laughs> I mean, yes, that is that is also a legitimate way of doing things, but again, I think that is also... But that is progression that you've put in, and that's the 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 part of understanding how your world works yeah. and yeah. setting it to, setting it ablaze with them in it, so that you know what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, what is it? Power abhors a vacuum is always my favorite thing. Is that yes? You've just killed off the mafia ringleader. Congratulations! The streets are alight with fire and awash with blood. Yep. Why? Nature abhors a vacuum. That's right. Sorry. Now, now everyone who was concerned that that guy was in power and would do something if they stepped out of line just realized he's no longer there. And everybody who was number two in town is now fighting to be number one. Yep. Um, and one last note on this is that, to the best of my knowledge, there is no stat in any game that I've ever seen that helps you resolve moral dilemmas. No. No. Uh, I again kind of see your see my uh, see my skin grad plot. Yeah. Here's a magical undead slaying sword. I am handing it to you, the cleric, who is exceptionally good at wielding holy magics to kill the undead. And then I'm gonna stick you in a room full of baby, crazy vampire piranhas. Basically. Mm -hmm. Does that sound like a fair fight? Yeah. No, you're holding freaking Dawnbreaker. Yeah. Of course, it's not a fair fight. Yeah. I didn't put it there for game balance. No. I put it there so you'd feel bad about killing people. Yep. Without <laughs> you know? a doubt. Without a doubt. I gave you a good vampire and a bad vampire to choose from. At the same time, you end up sometimes with unique scenes like that happened in The Expanse, where it's like, here's the gun. The guy who hurt you is across the room. Yeah. And you can't pull the trigger. That's okay. One of the other players can. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that guy. But I am. Yeah. And and those you have those moments. But again, I also feel that that is role play. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is moving through the right feeling to get to that. So, and, and that, that brings us, yeah, that brings us to a great point, actually, is uh, other members of your team coming together. It's, ah. it's usually not just one person Correct. that is breaking your power curve. Usually right. we're looking at the combined efforts of your table. The Swiss right? Army knife of teams. I the goat, if you will. I can't challenge this team because they've got a rogue that can mm -hmm. get past all the traps. They've got a wizard that can solve all the arcane stuff. They've got a fighter that can soak up any blow, and they've got a bard that can talk the pants off of a you know of, of an ambassador. Mm -hmm. So, like, literally any situation they've got somebody for. Right. And that's fine. Like, groups build teams as toolboxes. I mean, this is a trope as old as time. I mean, mm -hmm. you've got like look at Ocean's Eleven. You know, yeah. I mean, they d specifically designed the team to do that. Leverage you know? the A team, even Buffy. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, one's the hammer, one's the best screwdriver. If we're going to continue with the tools analogy, yep. um, one's the best screwdriver, one's an amazing saw, etc. 
each has their purpose to fill and each is going to try to optimize their characters to be the best at that job. Okay. It's the Swiss army knife thing. Um, so, but the other thing that I, I kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to pause you for a second. That sure, fits sure. Into this is the reason for the Swiss army knife oftentimes is because we believe we need to be that. The game has told us and pressured us to say, you know, and I'm not even going to say D&D. Mm-hmm. I'm saying gaming in general. Like, oh, yeah. You go to a video game that is a multiplayer game. The first question that usually gets asked is, what do we need? Yeah. What role should I fulfill? And now you're playing a role and a role playing game makes it feel like someone needs to be the fighter. Someone needs to be the wizard. Someone needs to be the cleric so that all the roles are filled and we are a optimized team who hasn't got heckled in a group of overwatch because you picked a you know you picked a tank character when they already had a uh uh had a reinhardt on the team or the wrong one or the wrong one yeah hey we're not why would you take zarya on this map you know against these players you know yeah because you're not optimized you're not fitting that and and being able to sit within the meta that is best for the situation exactly and i think Right there is a discussion to have with your players about we're not optimized. We don't stop it. Just we are not playing a table. We're not moving to a video game. Interesting stories happen when failure happens. That's the thing is that we all want to succeed. We all want to try to succeed. But I think there's and I've seen it in my own group, too. And it's 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 it was so surreal to me watching my own party after we literally just got done having a discussion that we're going to keep the heroes never die special rule in play, mm-hmm. meaning that it is nearly impossible to die unless you look me in the eye and say, you know, I feel like my character would kick the yeah. bucket here. Yeah, this is it for me. Sorry. This is it for me. I am volunteering to turn my character in as dead. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now yeah. it's a narrative beat. You know, yeah. you cannot die from your wounds in a mechanical sense in my game. Um, And having you guys go... Oh God, we can't do that because you know if we if we don't meticulously plan this or if we don't meticulously solve this and and do the right thing, we're all gonna die. Like it's gonna be really bad for us. And I had to like look you guys in the eye and go like, you know, you can walk into danger just a little bit. Like, there's really not that much of a serious consequence I can give you. It'll be role play consequence, mm-hmm. but like. I thought we'd established mine's the type of game where you're not going to be dealing with dire fallout from mm-hmm. complications, mm-hmm. you know? And you guys all kind of reality checked a little bit and went, oh, yeah. Yeah, we can be a little haphazard, can't we? Yeah. Right. Have an adventure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Step no. in, allow, allow your characters to step into it a little bit. It's like I've, I've said it on the show before. Beer, because no fun story ever started with a salad. Although those ladies keep laughing about it, and I want to know what's going on. Right. I really want to know what's <laughs> going laughing on. Laughing into their salads. I'll tell you about it someday. Okay, fair um, enough. Um, but so in that regard, do give your players who are heroic a bunch of nails to hit in. Yeah, absolutely. Like, be fans of those moments. There's nothing wrong with, you know... <laughs> Giving someone a treat because they were good. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's also, don't forget about giving Legolas a bunch of crap that he can shoot arrows at. Right. There's there's an impulse of storytellers for us to say, like, oh, well, if I, if I hand the sniper a good rifle and a long-range shot at a single stationary target, he's just going to shoot it. 
Mm-hmm. And where's the challenge in that? So I can't put him in a situation where that would happen because he'd just instantly win it. Mm-hmm. I have to think creatively around it and make everything a challenge. No, you you, you don't. Mm-mm. You actually really don't. Sometimes it's good to just line up some targets for him to just knock down. Yeah. Why? He built a character to knock down targets. Right. Your cleric character is a healer, mm-hmm. is a knight, a knight hospitaler, essentially. Mm-hmm. If I don't give you souls to save mm-hmm. and lives to save, you know, on the battlefield, right? what is your character even doing? Yeah. You know, if yeah. I don't give my mage who has... Uh, uh, you know, uh, expertise in research skill, mm-hmm. the chance to dig into a library every so and then, what is he, what am I doing? Yeah. Those things are wasted. That player feels cheated. They feel cheapened for having spent a bunch of their character build or points or experience or whatever the system's got on those features and not doing anything with them. But the question then is, is isn't challenge more fun? I mean, maybe it is. I would say it is, but at the same regard, also just seeing that perfection moment. <clears throat> um, uh, seeing dead shot take the three mile shot to hit a target mm-hmm. because that's what he's good at, and really letting that moment shine is beautiful. Seeing Grog. Step, kick down a door, get hit with 30 arrows and go, oh, there's only 30 of you. (laughs) Oh, now you messed up. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's it's those types of moments, you know, where suddenly the tables turn and everyone laughs because they know that you're good at that. Mm -hmm. And you just dance your way through the scene, however your character does it. Yeah. And you can sit back as a storyteller and watch your table enjoy that moment and think in the back of your head when they are done with this, there will be something. Yeah, exactly. Waiting for them. Whether it's and it's it's not always a consequence. It doesn't have to be a consequence. Yeah. It yeah. can just be the next story beat. Honestly, I love I love those moments where my characters get to shine at the thing that they design their character to do and just hand them the reins, hand them the limelight for just a second and just be like, You tell me what happens here yeah you know because clearly you're going to succeed yeah like this is you know you're a sniper and you've got a 50 caliber on the roof across the building from the you know from your target right who stops in front of the window and just stares at the city longingly yeah longingly and he's just right in your crosshairs you tell me what happens yeah they built this character because they wanted to play a sniper. They wanted that to be their dramatic moment. Let them have it. Sean's gif that just popped up in chat. It's the it's uh, the Captain, Captain America, America in the elevator scene. Before we get started, does anyone want to get off? That is that is not roll a single die. Just yeah. tell me how it goes. Just tell me how it goes. You are in the elevator with twelve. Normal humans. They're normal humans. They're normal humans. They might in, have a little bit aberrant, of gear. We call them baselines. Yeah. They're baselines. <laughs> there might be a little bit of gear there, but they're just normal. Even a five-point strength baseline is going to lose against a mega strength one Nova. Yeah. Yep. And I'll say this. None of them are leaving the elevator when you say that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so tell me what just, happens. <laughs> just describe the scene to me. Yep, yeah. exactly. That is, that, is the, that is a quintessential perfect scene of letting your player 
enjoy their light. Yeah. And and this works for the toolbox group as well. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I mean, the, the hammer wants to pound nails. The screwdriver wants to drive screws. The saw wants to cut things in half. Okay. N- um, no house is going to get built with a little bit of all of these things going into building that complete package, right? Um, each one of these is an opportunity for those individual characters to shine and feel special. Mm-hmm. The thing I want to drive home here is that it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Yes. The house always wins. Yeah. Okay. It's n- The idea is not to make your characters fail in fun and interesting ways or hang danger over their heads like the Sword of Damocles and paralyze them with terror of taking any action, you know? Unless you're playing aliens, and then, yes, that's a possibility. But Ultimately, but even then, it's the system doing it, not you. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, with with the exception, with the notable exception of, of certain genres of story, yes. there are, generally, we want our players to succeed at the things that they are doing because everybody has fun when that we happens. We want Buffy to slay the vampire. We Yeah, we want to, no. you know, slay the dragon, rescue the princess, and go home to big damn heroes at the end of the day yes. and get a metal pinned in our there chest. There you go. There you go. Um... Blow up the Death Star, do the thing. You can hold up the little glowy orb that we bought at Spencer's at the end. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, that the Gungans handed us. And, yes. uh, you know, if you don't hand those opportunities to your characters to be able to succeed and stuff like that, like, that, that's how they're... You need, to, you need to be able to acknowledge that they're going to have fun when they win. Mm-hmm. You know? And that it will be their fun. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, 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 if people die, the game stops. Mm-hmm. Stories end that way, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so why are we trying so hard to stop them from succeeding? First off, we we don't want to design in car- parties or encounters or, or 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 situations and challenges that ends the fun. Like you, we don't want to do that. We want to try and make it fun, and by literally having to think around things and nerf things and do things, we are literally working closer toward that target. Yeah. To have that possibility become nearly 100%. I think the entire OSR genre right now is just bleeding from the nose. <laughs> I mean, it's it's possible, but again, that game is designed in that direction. And you know what? That's okay if that's what your table discusses. Yeah, sure, sure, absolutely. I don't think we're talking about OSR games tonight. We are anyways. not. We're talking about narr- more narrative games correct, and, and correct. whatnot like that. Um. But yeah, I mean, like your drama is going to come from the consequences, and you only get to do that if they live. So, like, don't stop them from succeeding. Give them yeah. if if there's failure, give them consequences, but let them let them carry on, and you know, don't stop them from from doing the heroic things. Yeah, they've earned it. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when your player gets to a level eleven and gets the superpower that now any of the things that they're proficient in automatically, unless it's a one becomes a 10, and their proficiency bonus stacks on it. So at a minimum, they're rolling 14, which is one under what is considered proficient Yeah, for TN, meaning 95% of the average things that they're going to do, picking locks, you know, anything like that, they can just do. You know what? The game is trying to tell you that they can just do it. Stop making them do those rolls. Just don't. Mm-hmm. Just it's not important, and you shouldn't try. You shouldn't make the and here here we're starting to get into the far of it, which is that did the bad guy specifically know that this very skilled person was coming in the door? So they triple locked their bank vault with a very specific lock that they were unaware of. No, 
They didn't. Because mm-hmm. they're planning for everyone else but this person. Exactly. That's the whole point that this person's even there. They don't know that Safecracker McGee is coming along. But maybe in four safes they are. Yeah. And now th- now they're going to be like, so Safecracker McGee's going to come along. I brought this extra special f- uh, cra- you know, safe that they could try and crack that they'll probably get. The problem is that there's also other things that they're going to have to contend with now. Yep. Because I'm not going to let them get in there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make that the the thing that they want. You know, mm-hmm. now it's a game. Yeah. You know, yeah. those types of things. That's where you see that in stories, because we all have this false impression that games that have a curve, you have the line that goes from one corner to the other of level progression and difficulty. And we think that the game gets more difficult as you get your way to the end of the boss the, and the, the super boss fight. In the honest-to-goodness simulationist design, that isn't true. Your players will out-level the monsters because the monsters don't change. Mm-hmm. The world doesn't adjust. They are the ones growing. Mm-hmm. So your bad, your your big badass boss does not start out as a goblin who could who could possibly kill them in two swipes, and then at the end of the game is a goblin undead cleric of an overlord with a warlock. You know, buzzword, 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 buzzword modifier, you know, know, and has resistances and all kinds of magical weapons. That's that's not typical of any story. Yeah, they they don't level with the players. That's I mean, that's a video game contrivance is what that is. Exactly. It's one of the things that actually bugs the hell out of me about like Skyrim, for instance, you know, as big of an Elder Scrolls fan as I am, you know, you you're like you go into a cave at one point and it's like, okay, there's a bunch of, you know, ragtag bandits in here with leather armor and rusty swords. Cool. Yep. And then you go to the next cave over, you know, uh, 50 hours down the road in the game, and they're all, like, bandit lords with Daedric weapons slinging, you know, high-powered spells at you. And you're like, what the... Why are you... You guys could topple kingdoms with this They should go after the Jarl at this point. Right, you guys should be fighting the Jarl, not living in a cave. Like, what is up with this? Like, they go two steps out of the state cave at a dragon lands, they just lay the dragon out. Right. (laughs) Except the dragons are all leveled up now, too. Amazingly enough. Yeah, exactly. But, like, one of the images that I always get Mm -hmm. is from uh, Venture Brothers. You know, of Brock Sampson. He is a brick of a man who is there to murder. He's Uh not exceptionally smart he's wise in what he does and the things that he knows but his joy comes from literally toppling armies <laughs> or getting that one big brute and 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 handling in so when he shows up at a villain's place that villain is terrified and literally just keeps throwing minions at him until he's either done with his energy level and decides to leave yep. or yep. that the villain can get away mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it because villains know that when those things show up, they're screwed. It's yeah. time to go. Yeah. When James Bond shows up and they know it's James Bond, they're they're done. It's James Bond. I always remember that scene from uh, I think it was the second Iron Man movie where uh, he's going through the uh, the the Mandarin's place, and yeah. then w- the one guard is just like, hey, he doesn't pay me enough, and uh, yeah. I saw what she did to the other guy, yeah. so I'm just gonna. And he's like, okay, go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the scene from Firefly, mm-hmm. the first guy, you know, he's gonna come after you. He's gonna keep coming. He and kicks he just, him into the exhaust, into the exhaust, or into the intake. All right, the, no, this the is manifold. Niska's money. I get it. I, I get, get it. it. Niska's money. Gonna Be- take it. Best for everyone. We're good. Best for everyone. <laughs> yep. yep. I'll, I'll see you later. And like. <laughs> It's it's funny, but that is how people react. That mm-hmm. is how things react. And it comes off so much better when you can turn off that part of your brain and say, all right, how is re- how is reality going to react to this? Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm going to literally just hurdle a building at this person and try and get away. You know? Right, right. So... So one of the other things like uh, that I kind of want to get at in this discussion here is, um, and I, I touched on a little bit before, is letting players have the power, let them have the power that they paid for. Yeah, because they did pay for it. Because they did pay for it. Like, for instance, Savage Worlds was, oh, Savage Worlds is such a blessing for teaching me this this lesson. Okay. So the community itself is so different from what I was coming from from D&D. And I was still kind of stuck in that mentality of, oh, everything has to be a challenge. Everything has to be difficult for, for my players. And um, uh, so I actually went on Reddit and I was discussing. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to homebrew this ability, this, this, uh, this power. Because uh, I was trying to recreate Conjure Weapon from the, from the Elder Scrolls series. And I had some really great discussions with people. And... Somebody basically taught me to just kind of throw what I consider to be balance out the window, mm-hmm. right? He says, so wait, hold on a second. This spell summons a weapon, right? I said, yeah. I don't want that to be overpowered. And they're like, well, how is it going to be overpowered? How does summoning a weapon differ in any meaningful way from just having a normal weapon? Mm-hmm. Are these things going to do more damage than swords? Are they going to have special abilities or not? And I'm like, no, I kind of considered they would have just, you know, be normal weapons. I'm like, but what if they were, like, in a place where they had to be, you know, they had to check their weapons at the door, you know, my mages would just be able to just have weapons with them. And they're like, okay, really, honestly, how often is that going to happen that it is going to upset game balance for you that you need to write this spell or even have to have a special spell for it. I was like, I don't know, once, maybe twice in the game? They're like, okay, your characters have already purchased the arcane background. Like, they've already invested an entire edge, which is honestly a lot, because you don't get a lot of those, especially in lower levels of, of, of gameplay, which is where we're at. They've already invested an edge in, in, in getting an arcane background, right? Yeah. Just let them summon weapons. Yeah. It's not that huge of a deal. And probably if they're dedicated spellcasters, they're not going to have a huge fighting score anyways. So, like, using a sword usually isn't going to be too greatly advantageous to them in spite of, like, a, a you know, a, a warrior instead, right? Yeah, it's, it's, they're not min-maxing for some event that, eventuality that you've contrived. Right, nobody's going to summon a sword and then clear an entire room with it. They're no. probably going to summon a sword and be like... Great, I think the pointy end goes into the other man because I'm a mage, not yeah. a, you know. It's it's a really it's a role playing mechanic for them more than anything else. Yeah, exactly. So just let it go. They already they already purchased magic as mm-hmm. an ability with their with their character points, you know, and invested into that. So what if they summon a dagger with it? That sounds cool. Mm-hmm. That sounds badass. Let them be heroes. Yep. You know. No, I agree. And... Um, one of the other examples I saw was uh, uh, somebody somebody uh, went on there, and this was after I'd had this interaction. Mm-hmm. So I'd already had this kind of change of perception. Sure. And somebody was like, if someone – this this sounds overpowered. Let me know if I if this sounds overpowered to you. And the community was like, okay, go ahead. Well, they take this edge and this other edge and this other edge and a specific machine gun and has a really high shooting skill. They can, under a very specific circumstance, lay down, brace, go on full auto fire, and do this. And they calculated it all out, like how many dice worth of damage it turns out to be. And in the scope of Savage Worlds, yes, it was an obnoxious amount of damage. Sure. Doesn't that seem overpowered? 
And luckily, the community said what I was going to type up long before I ever got there, which was, so let me get this straight. They have to take three edges that all compound on top of one another, so they have to have all three. A very specific piece of equipment, a single target that they are going to unleash all this stuff into, and it has to be a hard target because it's not worth emptying an entire machine gun clip into it if it's not going to be able to take that clip. Um... And they have to lay down and brace for a turn before they do this, all just to get this extreme damage out of there. Again, how many times do you see this happening? And and how often, I mean, how much did they invest? Right. They invested three edges, equipment, and all the stars aligned for the situation to show up in the first place. Yeah, let, let them, them have, have it. it. Yeah. My God, if you've, you've set, if that situation comes up, Oh, no, no, they are eating an entire belt of 762. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I'm going to let them laugh the entire time that they're rolling all those dice. Yep. And I'm going to high-five them afterwards and give them a Benny. Yep. Yep. Because, damn, that was cool. Yeah. You've, you've got to do the thing. Right. Exactly. They paid for that power so much. Let them have it. Exactly. Let them have exactly. it. High-five them afterwards. Yep. So stop. Put away the Nerf bat. Take another look at it. And then lastly, let them have the power they earned. Oh, yeah, that especially. Um, I mean, the other the other big one I see, how do I make, like, food and water a concern for level 20 characters? Oh, God, that thing. Yeah. Like, oh, my level 20 characters can just snap their fingers and have, like, a magnificent mansion and they're all food and they're all water and stuff like that. How do I make survival a challenge for them again? You don't. You don't. You shouldn't. Never. Like, That's a, it's a if that was an intentional part of your game, you should have calculated that way at the beginning, exactly, and, and not set advancement to push you beyond that. Because the point of the game is is that your everything becomes creature comfort and quality of life. Yeah, like teleport is a quality of life. Sure, sure. Once your players can teleport, travel is not an issue anymore. Right. At least there's. It removes certain concerns from it, right. you know, depending on how flexible that teleportation is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what do you do? Well, you just don't try to challenge them with that thing anymore. Yeah. It's just off the menu. Yeah. Don't all make... The, all the small things go away. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's a lot of people who are like, well, you can make things where, like, there's no teleport zones or this or that. Like, no, don't, no. like, stop it. I mean, it can occasionally be a thing if, like, you've got a really good story reason for it. But, you know, kind of like you were talking earlier about um, uh, how your your rivals, your, your, your antagonists might, you know, account for the fact that, like you said, Safecracker McGee is, is mm-hmm. you know, breaking the saves all over the place. Well, the first three of them are going to be unprepared because they don't know that Safecracker McGee is out there. Mm-hmm. But once word gets around that Safecracker McGee is out there cracking safes... Guaranteed that fourth one's going to have some countermeasures built into it. And or the thing that they're looking for isn't inside. Right. Exactly. Like, that's a different thing. If you're if the wizard in your D&D party always casts fly on themselves and then rains down fireball, and your big bad evil guy knows this, and they do this frequently, not just once, but they do it frequently enough that your, that your, your big bad evil guy goes, oh, okay, I see their modus operandi. Yeah. I see it's a thing. Mm-hmm. They fly, they rain down fireballs. Cool. I got the hard counter for them. I bought, like, a bunch of fire protection amulets on eBay. Mm-hmm. 
and I passed them out to my archers who will shoot them out of the sky. Right. Or, uh, yeah, I'm not out in the open and neither are my people. They're mm-hmm. all in a building in corridors. Good luck with that. <laughs> come out and fight me. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm camping. You That's come right. in here. That's right. So we have some good questions. Yeah. I want to go through these questions because uh, I think some of them are great uh, and uh, straight on topic and some are just fun. Yeah. Um, I'm going to leave the technologist's question to the end because uh, I want to stay on a little bit of topic here. Yeah, sure. So Overwatch asks, is there a system you have experience in either as a DM or a player that upends the typical power curve of advancement based games? If so, what is it and how did it affect storytelling and campaign structure? Now, I I made a note for myself because Mouse Guard I feel does this. Yeah. Because advancement in Mouse Guard requires you to fail. Yep. Like your you... stats only go up after a number of successes equal to your current rating and a number of failures equal to your current rating minus one. And you can choose to fail. You can complicate other people. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of ways to handle failure. And again, it's we we you look at failure differently but that system changes that curve because it forces role play yep. it forces you to be failing within the story and because of that failing you have to account for it in some way and so i feel that that upends the power curve because just to do it you are you are moving within the mechanics of the system to to try and achieve it it's not just Success, success, success breeds more success, which breeds me into perfection. Yes, exactly. You know, I am now diamond hands and perfect. Uh, I will be honest with you. I cannot come up with a better answer than Mouse Guard. Um, most games that I think back on that I've had spent any time with whatsoever, um, even Savage Worlds itself does have a vertical scaling mm-hmm. to it. Um, and so, therefore, it does not upend the typical power curve of... Uh, Vertical enhance, uh, vertical advancement. Yeah, and I've I I can say that things like White Wolf with humanity is is kind of a counter to that, but I've never seen it used in a way that upends the curve. Yeah, it yeah. never does. Um, I think it was meant to, but I don't I don't think it had enough teeth as a system. Uh, to, mechanic within the system. Yeah, yeah. to to really um, you're like oh, you're really turning into the beast. Cool. Yeah. It Anyways, does. I burned celerity and ripped this guy's head off. You know? Right, like, right. Yeah. And, like, there's, the, there's no weight to it yeah, yeah, after the fact. And therefore, and unlike, like, if the same thing happened in D&D, like, okay, I just killed two people. Great. Lose two points. Of, uh, like, your uh, constitution save is reduced by two. What? Yeah, yeah. If there was if there was teeth to it like that, then I could, I could see there being kind of a counterbalance to, like, as you... Uh, Actually, you know, I think Urban Shadows kind of did that with the corruption. Um, in it, that it does, but it's it, like you kind of become more powerful as you gain the corruption, but at the same time, you inch closer to losing your character. So or even in a... Uh, uh, City of Mist, where you become closer to one or the other, either your avatar, or your, your icon, or yourself. Yeah, and you're you're moving away from the other. Yeah, your your mythos or your yes. uh, or your your I forgot what your reality part was called. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that that concept where it's it it's as you gain. Mm-hmm power you lose something in the curve yeah and and those types of games i think do but again they're they're not necessarily something that i've i've actively played long enough to be able to say that it feels like that yeah I but i definitely think the concept is there city of mist game died a little too quick there yeah i'd love to go back to it but 
Um, all right, so Nevim asks, uh, do you tackle the challenge, uh, tackle challenge creation the same way when dealing with high-powered when dealing with low-power? Do you need to just increase the power stats uh, to upgrade any challenge? No. No, this is, yeah, this is part of that whole, like, the PCs have high numbers, the foes have to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I've become a big proponent of just, uh, just throw the stuff that makes sense in there. Mm-hmm. If the PCs have the guns to deal with it, cool. If they don't... Your fight scene has just become a chase scene. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, um, yeah, no. I... And balance the power differently. There is absolutely nothing that says that when the players come in and start kicking butt that the enemies just don't leave. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's a thing. That's yeah. okay. Maybe the fight scene becomes a chase scene, but the players are the pursuers. Right. Of like, oh, crap, it's them. We can't deal with them. They're right. the heroes. Right. Let's get out of here. Let's, let's leave as yeah, quickly as we can. Exactly. Um, what exa- the next one was, what examples of systems do you have that handling the, uh, uh, good handling of the power curve? Again, mouse guard. Oh, uh, I really like Savage Worlds for this because it's a lot, uh, the, the power curve is extraordinarily flat. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, instead of, uh, instead of uh, level, level one, oh god, I'm a farmer with a pitchfork, and level 20 being, which god do you want to punch today? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like... A newbie character is maybe good at using a gun, and a, like, legendary rank character is, like, exceptionally good at using a gun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that and that's it. Like, mm-hmm. that's your power curve in Savage Worlds. And it's fun because it's pulpy and heroic and stuff like that, but you never really feel, even at high levels of Savage Worlds, you never really feel like you're, like straining the limits of believability within the story. You know, you can easily have high and low level characters together at the same table and not feel like there's a giant power disparity, you know? I can't cite the examples in the mechanics, but I felt like the One Ring handled this as well because of the requirement of return. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a lot of the advancement was done in, like, uh, magical boons. Correct. Gear was the real key there. And you had to make decisions on what you were using. You had to make decisions on how you were using it. But it felt like it was personal. Everything was personal. And then the the return. The concept of, you're exhausted. I don't care how big of a badass you are. At some point, you need to go lay down. Yeah. And that's a mechanic that's that's hard to ignore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. Uh, Does the power curve... Um, come only from gaining XP and increasing the character's abilities. I will say yes in general because I, I class abilities, skills, stats by by increasing the character. Yeah, um, increasing character abilities. Uh, I would say yeah, but again, keep in mind that gear is also a thing. <laughs> um, you know, a uh, uh, that that rogue gets far more obnoxious um, and breaking with their. Uh, with their stealth skill when you give them boots of elven kind. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, absolutely. And that's uh, a f- I do consider that a form of advancement. Yeah, well, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah gear is gear's definitely a form of... Form of uh, it, it, it lends to the power curve, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, JGenX uh, asks, Narrative systems tend to be less balanced than simulationist one. How would you balance high-level encounters for narrative systems without being too hand-wavy? Well, first off, there's no balance in a narrative system if you're doing it right. Yeah. Don't don't try. Yeah. It's it. You're not going to be successful. The whole point of narrative is that you're telling a story, and the story evolves, have consequences, but it's not a it's not a win lose situation. Right. Right. The whole concept of balance kind of is countercurrent to narrative in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that. Um, 
Well, ordinarily he would have 12 thugs with him, but the stat calculator says that four thugs is a balanced encounter, so I can only have four thugs in the room. Should never be part of a narrative story. Yeah, if he should have 12 thugs with him, he should have 12 thugs with him. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And if the players... The players need to make their own decisions about that. In a narrative-heavy game where combat is not the be-all, end-all of conflict resolution, that shouldn't matter. Yeah. That's a show of force. That Those 12 thugs are there not to beat the players up, but to dissuade the players from starting anything. Mm-hmm. It's there to limit an option. And to add tension. And to add tension, exactly. Mm-hmm. I can I can kill you at any time because I outnumber you with powerful foes. Mm-hmm. So you're going to talk, and you're going to play nice. Yeah. And you're probably going to agree to what I have to say. Yeah. And then I'm going to let you walk out the door and think about it. So where's the balance in that? Right. There isn't one. There isn't one. Right. Exactly. So... And and likewise, if you're the big damn hero in it, stepping through the, 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 you know, the wheat field that is minor minions, there's no balance. It's yeah. just a lot. You're blade. You're going after the bad guy. It's threshing grain. That's right. It's nothing major. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, exactly. Psychic powers. Oh, that's uh, a great question. Think Professor X and Scarlet Witch from Marvel are massively overpowered uh, and can be difficult to balance in any system. Should GMs allow PCs with psychic powers in their games? Why and why not? Uh, personally, I think psychic powers are hard. Um, only because everything does them differently. And that that right there makes that even more challenging. Yeah, the, like, I, I, I don't think there's a blanket yes or no to this question. This is this is not unlike saying, does undead unbalance a game? Which ones? Right. Are we, are we talking Vampire the Masquerade? Are we talking um, D&D? D&D? Are we are talking, we talking li- the, you know, uh, the Living Dead? Are we talking... Cthulhu, Cthulhu, you know, yeah, which, no. which undead are we speaking of? Are we, are we talking about necromancy? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about medica- medicated? You know... Right. Are we, are we playing a, la- a, a uh, Last of Us game? You yeah. Know, or, or what? Or, or, you know, is this the Umbrella Corp? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, what are we dealing with here? So I, I think in, in that right there, Psychic is hard. Uh, and and I I don't envy people who don't have a good grip on it within their system. That being set aside, because it's talking about balance of two very powerful people, understanding that neither of them had a problem with their power set getting adjusted, other than things that were already factored to their story. Meaning, the counter to Professor X was Magneto, because he knew he knew the truth. Right. Or someone who is equally matched as him. Whereas with Scarlet Witch, there really isn't a counter to Scarlet Witch so much as that she has to deal with the morality of her actions within herself. And that produces its own struggle of control. The, the We talked about in our power balance show that power balance ends up being the key to most narrative stories. It doesn't matter how powerful the character or or uh, persona is within the story, there's always some balancing point of power that is, is, is oppressing them, whether it's an internal struggle of morality, whether it's an understanding of their past and the things they have, or just them trying to balance themselves in some way. That's what the counter is to those superpowers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only thing I can I can really think of uh, the only game system I've ever uh, had psychic power in my game with mm-hmm. uh, was aberrant, okay, and yeah. um, 
typically you built uh, uh, there were there were a lot of different ways to build your nova in uh, in aberrant um, and but one of the things that that I kind of saw happen was that you'd really either go a physical or a mental route with it right and maybe maybe that was wrong you know mm-hmm. but uh, there were a lot of characters who were like, cool, um, I dual-wield SUVs as melee weapons, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's okay, you can throw me off the building, I'll just hit the p- the pavement, brush it off of me, and get back up, you know, right. Superman style. Yeah. Um, but you had these psychic characters who were like, cool, how's your brain resistance, and then just turn them into a pretzel from, you know, from the inside out. Right. Uh but then you had the exact opposite happen, mm-hmm. where you had these mighty psychic characters who could, like, bring even the most, you know, mighty titans to their knees, but uh, bullets were their only weakness. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, oh, you don't have any mega stamina. Cool. I put a thirty-eight in your chest. Right. Oh. Okay, my character dies. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I guess that takes care of that then, huh? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know. Uh, so... I find there's there's always kind of a balancing there's always a balancing act there to do as far as you know just just make sure that uh, there is something within the game system that gives them a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really this is blanket advice for any character that like vulnerabilities make you fun. You know the reason Superman has kryptonite is because without it he's literally just a straight up invincible Mary Sue. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be some sort of counterbalance to him. And look at how many stories are built around, okay, Superman shows up, but, oh, the foe has some sort of weird kryptonite. And yeah. now, interesting stories are being told because he's vulnerable. Yeah. This foe is going to literally blow up the city with mm-hmm. a nuke. The problem isn't Superman. Yeah. Fighting the foe. The fight, it is figuring out how to make sure the rest of society survives. Yeah. So, like, is is that... Is that balance? Is that nerfing Superman? I, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think it's just more interesting if you have vulnerabilities. So if you don't have some sort of vulnerability for the massive power of psychic powers, um, find one. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever your system offers. All right. So. Technologist question. All right. Is there any game system that you've always wanted to try but were never able to? <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this one uh, before the show, yeah. and I loved both of our answers. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, I will say yours, because yeah. I know like the top list for you, you. You called it. I was like <laughs> saying it, and you were like, I know. I know exactly what this is. Yeah. You've always wanted to run a Cthulian game. You've always wanted to have horror and and, and I... otherworldly in that tension. I love horror as, as a genre. Um... Like a Resident Evil game would be... Would be a, a point there as well. Some something that has a little bit of of tension and darkness and horror, questionable horror. Yeah, like I I love um I love that yeah that that's you don't need terror. I love um I love body horror to to an aspect. Like yeah. I had a lot of fun telling the story about that woman who turned into a gibbering mouth. Or, I totally ooh, remember that. Loved telling that story. Yeah. Uh, because you guys were like, she turned into a puddle of goo covered in mouths mm-hmm. that are all screaming madness at us. Mm-hmm. What is up? And I was, oh, I was just Burn living with fire. that. I was just Burn living that. Yeah. That reaction there. And then when you guys like later encountered one and burned the entire inn down on top of it. Yep. Without even, like, we're not even dealing with it. Yep. 
burn the whole thing down. We're going to make a fuel air bomb out of sacks of flour. And I'm like, it's too good of an idea. I'll allow it. Okay, the whole thing goes up in flames. Cool. Yeah, so where's the inn? There is no inn. There is no inn. You can see it for miles around. Yeah, yeah. Um... That that reaction was great for me, and mm-hmm. I I love I love those tense moments. I love fighting against those those odds where you really feel the danger deep yeah. in your bones. You know, I think I think you could really enjoy an alien game mm-hmm. like that type, like a a space marines trying to handle something in that sense, or you know, uh, yeah. I I'd say uh, probably Call of, Call of Cthulhu. I've never played yep. um, Alien by Free League. Dread uh, and Dread are yep. probably my top three right there, and then. Uh, Urban Shadows comes up a a, a, qu- a quick fourth because it's not really a horror game um, as much of an intrigue game, but it has horror elements because it involves vampires and, mm-hmm. you know, demons and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. So, yeah. how about you? Um... I, I kind of expected your answer, but I, I, I wouldn't... Yeah. I wouldn't... I, I wasn't like, you know, oh, I know. I know. Yeah. You know, I didn't call it. Um, I think for me, like, the, the one that sticks out most in my mind is Far Future. I don't get a chance to play it. I don't, you know... Whether it's like fantastical far future mm-hmm. or it's very um, simulationist far future, so like, Traveler, uh, yeah, Star Trek, Star Wars, yeah, a- any of those really fit. I would say less Star Wars, more Star Trek, sure, more uh, Shadowrun, even to a degree, yeah, okay. Um, you know, because uh, even though that's kind of quasi near future, um, just the the transcendence of humanity and and pushing past things. Um, you had brought up the point that a lot of those games get hard because uh, technology solves problems. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, nanobots make us invincible. Uh, you know, there is, you know, all of all cybernetics are now wetware and, uh, you know, it, it's it's just something you can have. Right. At, the at the other ship is drifting in hard vacuum and doesn't have its, you know, it's, it's, it's all of its life support is offline. Cool. We uh, teleport over with our phasers set to kill um, in our vacuum sealed suits that provide us all with life support on board. So yeah, and they're, none they're of ballistic rating 12, you know. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's OK, great. Um, You're fine. You know, but the thing is, is that those stories are, are rarely about they're, they're narrative stories. Mm-hmm. They're meant to be narrative stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the things that I've always wanted, but I, at the same regard, like I, I never really got to play Rifts. Mm-hmm. I ran it. I never really got to play Robotech. I ran it. Um, And looking back, the systems are not what I would want. Like today, if someone was like, hey, I'm running a Robotech game, I'd be like, great. Uh. You are you running like Robotech as a story, or you're running like Palladium. Robotech Palladium? <laughs> right, that's a you know that's I a would, distinction. For I me. would play it, but yeah. in the same regard, I would play it for the narrative. I wouldn't play it for the the, the piles of dice to fire missiles and random hit locations and yeah. you know MDC calculations, um, because that's I I wanted to play those worlds. Uh. I wanted to play the interest behind them, and so I think that's that's my big thing is is that. Um, those are the those are the types of games that I I would love to play, um, and want to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm you know, like we talked about this like maybe we should you know dot dot dot. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's coming around for both of us. Like at this point, is that we we've been running this podcast with two games, like my, your game and my game, and both of our games I'm not going to say are coming to a close, but they will have a close. Mm-hmm. What are we doing after that? And we've had ideas. Yeah, I think uh, I think we we both kind of took a deep breath and agreed that we're going to be running a lot of like one shots or short run games, 
to get experience with different game systems and whatnot. And also because we're getting old and yeah. uh, we don't have the energy to keep up a five year long campaign anymore. Yeah. I I don't <laughs> I don't want to be running level twenty D and D characters when I'm sixty eight. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like that's 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 not in the cards for me. So it's not in your AARP card. No, it's yeah. definitely not in the AARP card. I'll think AARP is gonna be hilarious when we hit that age. Yeah. I think it's gonna be absolutely hilarious. So all right, I uh, think that's all of our questions. Yeah. I think we're wrapping up. Um, Thank so you, everyone. Next week's topic. Next week's topic is uh, to be the first of uh, first of the month again. So we're dipping back into our storytelling two o two series. Yes. Uh, this time we're talking about splitting the party. Uh, it is considered one of the big cardinal sins of uh, of, of tabletop yeah. role playing. Um, but there's ways to do it right. There's mm-hmm. ways to do it good, but it also requires some cooperation on your players, and it requires a little bit of strategic storytelling techniques to yeah. kind of pull off. So we're going to deep dive what splitting the party is all about and how to do it in Whether an it's... efficacious way at the table. And... Yeah. Whether it's somebody who's going alone, which does happen. Yeah, and, and how to deal with it when it does become a problem. So Yeah. So, all right. You can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at uh, mix uh, at seven p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave, and uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion with all the other storytellers on there. Bounce some campaign ideas off of them, and shoot us some questions to answer here on the air. <laughs> you can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help us out every single month, especially our name members we really appreciate it Knox in the box subject sam the arcane asylum sparkle motion veteran hulavu and sean we always appreciate your support our pre-show music is by arcane anthems you can find them on at patreon.com slash arcane anthems or on instagram our intro music is beyond the warriors by geefrog you can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on google music and our outro music which you're hearing right now is only our footprints in the sand by midair machine you can find that at freemusicarchive.org and a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. Thank you. All of our friends who've sat at our tables over the years to share these great stories with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you. Yeah, have a good night. Good night.